0: Hello again, everybody, and welcome back to Card Advantage. I am Clues, one of your faithful hosts, and joining me, as always, is the other faithful host, Rich. Rich, how are things?
1: Things are things.
0: Things are, in fact, if things aren't things, let me know, because we need to get somebody on that, like, right away.
1: Well, so sometimes things are stuff.
0: Uh, This is true, and occasionally stuff are things
1: but mostly it's things are things and stuff is stuff.
0: Usually, I hope. I I used to have uh, a, a two drawer filing cabinet in my office in grad school and I labeled the top drawer things and the bottom drawer stuff. It's amazing. And that that pretty much summed up grad school, honestly.
1: Uh we are I, I labeled stuff between me and my wife and my stuff was rich stuff and her stuff was crap. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, i'm gonna refrain from commentary so <laughs> we we are joined this week by a third voice we have everyone's favorite uh, recurring goblin and that is squee from over on monday night magic joining us tonight how are you squee
2: apparently i'm not faithful because i was not introduced as faithful
0: yeah well i mean how many times have you been on this show
2: uh, not Almost a faithful amount. Like I twice. want to say two times.
0: Yes, yeah, so that's not really all that faithful.
2: Honestly. Well, somebody forgot his triggers.
0: Uh, yes, this is true.
2: But hey, I'm here now.
0: Yes, Squee is here. So, uh, welcome, Squee. So, let me, let me ask this. For those who don't necessarily know who you are, how would you describe yourself?
2: How would I just, ooh, that's some, you know, deep questioning um
0: keep it up i'm I w- gonna go all terry gross on you but go ahead
2: Ooh, that's a lot weirder as a verb um but yeah um i am a long-term nerd i've wandered through most nerd hobbies i got into magic the gathering back in college when my roommate bought someone's old collection and needed someone to play it with so most of my magic early years were biased by the fact that he bought mostly mirrodin so i didn't actually know what colors did for a while it was just artifact heavy, and obviously green and red were the best because they killed artifacts, which were like half the world. Would so
0: you that say really that you unfair. have an, a, an affinity for magic?
2: Um, He made an affinity deck that was bad, so Whoa, I didn't what? get what all the hype was.
0: I, how do you even do that?
2: You just use the creatures that have affinity for like basic land types, and then you put them in multicolor decks. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> then it's fair. You're just playing fair creatures.
0: Okay. So if we invent a format where you have to do that, like, uh, God, what, what set was it that at the, I think it was at the Pro Tour for that set, you had to play a certain number of cards from the pack that, uh, that came with it. And um, now
2: I'm, i just remember an old thing, but I don't know what it was. Just remembering
0: an old story where the set was so bad, they had to force you to play it.
2: Um, Something like that. Yeah. But yeah, so that was how I learned. I learned by playing with other people's cards and decided I was never going to actually spend any money on this game and be the only person to come out ahead. And then I spent money on this game and fell far behind. And um so I got in around actually buying my own cards around Future Sight. I'd bought some Cold Snap before that and like no nobody cared about that set. So there was no money in it at the time. Um so I have my Happy Dark Death stack and that's a little better now. Um but then, yeah, I started playing. I mainly played Limited for a while. Um, One of the people in my playgroup was Mike, who you guys know from the Manipool and several guest spots here. And he started doing the Manipool, and I'm like, hey, podcasts exist, and I started listening to that. Then I guested on that a few times, and over time, eventually I guested it on it regularly enough that when Chewie took over Monday Night Magic and slowly started adding other regulars to it, I ended up becoming one of those, so...
0: Huh, yeah, I did not know that you had that tie. I mean, I've known you for a long time now, and we, of course, interact every week on Monday Night Magic, but I didn't know that you had that tie to Mike. Uh, yeah, uh,
2: so the story with us. that was that uh, um, Mike was someone who went to North Carolina State University at the same time that I went to North Carolina State University. Um, and Mike was there for grad school, though, and I was there for I, – I think my roommate – stayed there a semester later than I did because he was in the engineering program and good luck getting out of that on time. And I had actually gotten out on time. So I was visiting my roommate and for a small overlap, Mike was someone that I just sort of vaguely knew from Magic. But when I was visiting campus after graduating to hang out with my roommate and play cards, we started playing more regularly. And I met Mike through that. Like I didn't actually meet Chewy or any of the other hosts until the Future Site pre-release because that was back when they were giant regional events. Right. So. I could actually just meet new people there.
0: Huh. So what, uh, what were those like, the, the regional pre-releases? That's something I never got to experience. That, that um, was before my time.
2: So the interesting thing with regional pre-releases is that they play kind of like a, like if you go to a Star City event or a GP, but much smaller than that scale, like usually the scale of there being maybe a few hundred people there. And, um, what's noteworthy is that it's essentially if you were to go to one of those, but instead of having a giant main tournament, you just had a lot of flights for Sealed. Um, when we played, they were 32-person flights of Sealed, and you just played Swiss. Mm-hmm. And so every time they got to 32 people, another one would fire. And you'd play for four rounds. You'd get prizes of the new set based on your um, results, similar to how I know Atomic did it. And the, the difference was, though, there wasn't a set start time beyond the beginning of the day. It's just whenever they got 32, they fired another one.
0: So it's just like playing sides at a GP.
2: Yeah, but... it's exactly like that, but huh. it's the main event. And they also allowed um, drafting at these, but this was before I really got into drafting. Um, I was intimidated by it because I was entirely new to it. Right. But yeah, I, I remember going to – um they were regional, as in each state got one, and – that was very difficult because it meant that most people would only go to maybe half of them Mm -hmm. unless you were willing to drive all the way across the state to go to a sealed tournament where you might win like eight packs. Like that's kind of rough.
0: Yeah. The EV on that is not great.
2: Yeah. But uh, on the same note, at least in the time standard wasn't expensive. Mm -hmm. And, um, it was this weird thing where like right now you get your pre-release and then a week later you can buy the cards But back then you would have your pre-release and then the set wouldn't go on sale for a few weeks Mm -hmm. and you wouldn't be allowed to play with the cards and, you know, constructed formats for a few weeks. So it actually felt like a big deal pre-release because you would go out and you'd get all the cards, but you'd get them weeks before you'd have a chance to buy more. So winning those packs felt a lot cooler. And yeah, you could look up what cards were in the set, but it wasn't nearly the level of like coverage and attention that people get now where... At least at the time, I don't believe Wizards was, like, slowly doling out cards across, you know, 50 websites and every podcast but the ones that we're on.
0: Right. Yeah, not those.
2: Yeah. Um, it was more just a matter of, you know, you went to the event. You may or may not have read a list of what it was online. Like, they're still doing website previews, but mm-hmm. it wasn't quite the same as now. Like, we're as now, you know the whole set a week out, and a lot of people have already picked their strategies. And it didn't have any of the gimmicks that you have right now either. Like what you got would be um, – they still did tournament packs, which was neat. I like tournament packs. Um, For those not familiar, a tournament pack was a single box, a tiny box, that had the equivalent of three packs of cards in it, but there were no duplicates among them. So you open up the pack and you'll get three rares and nine uncommons and 42 um, commons because this was before they put lands in there but none of them were duplicates. And then on top of that, you would get three packs. Huh. And it was a way of getting you more of the set uh, because you would get to see, you know, like 45 completely separate cards in it or however the math worked out. And um it was really interesting because on top of that, you could still have multiples of things that just came out of your other packs. And then when you went to a mid-set pre-release, you would have the tournament pack for the base set and, you know, two or three depending on... Where they were at the time, packs of the new set. Yeah. And so you would never have multiple instances of a card from the base set when you're playing with a new one.
0: Huh. And, well, that's, that's a really interesting, uh, environment. Uh,
2: yeah. And the, um, the packs themselves were essentially just like the pre-con deck boxes that right. you get in fat packs and stuff like that. They're pretty small. Yeah. Uh, so you, a lot of people like Mike, for instance, just kept the things and just, you know, would keep their unsleeved decks on them. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall it was a neat experience, but there was no, like, winner like some big heavy duty um you know fighting your way up the chain it was more just you could play and then if you know you were bored when it, it was over or you you know you got your three losses or something and you were no longer in it for packs you just drop and you could immediately start another one or at least get an, a queue for another one yeah and because this was like the only statewide event for people that weren't playing really competitive you would see a lot of the same people at each one like the, i sort of came in near the end of that um, but I distinctly remember going to the Future Site pre release and then they did Magic Game Day for tenth edition, which was essentially a pre release, as we think of them a bit more now. Yeah. And then I remember um Laura I couldn't go to the pre release for Morning Tide I could. Shadowmore I had to drive for a few hours to get to one. And then Eventide I don't think I made it to. I don't remember where that was, but it was just one of those things where like i missed some of the events because they were far away and that was sort of noteworthy cuz now you know it's just a foregone conclusion that you'll go to a pre-release if you want to if yeah. you're in most locations that have one because of your local store is doing it but back then it was like deciding whether or not you were going to drive to like a gp or something you had to plan yeah. it
0: so what would you describe the uh, the atmosphere or the community at these kinds of pre-releases uh what 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 was the what was the vibe like
2: um Well, for me, it it was fun, but it was a little bit intimidating because you're going in to play a new set, and most of the ones that I went to were either at giant stores that could actually support the whole state, or they were in, like, rented-out hotel space. Right. And it was, like, a little miniature convention, and people would be selling stuff on the sides, and, you know, all of that would be going on. But overall, for me, like, it was just a case where I showed up at these. These were very new for me, and I had fun, but... You know, there were people that you would only see at these. We didn't have Twitter or anything really heavy yet, so like a lot of the online community was still being developed.
0: There was we a time before Twitter.
2: Yeah, it was weird. Huh?
1: How did people talk to each other and insult celebrities? Uh, MySpace. <laughs> they, they still had MySpace.
2: <laughs> insult um,
1: celebrities.
2: Admittedly, at the time, you didn't need Twitter to keep Joss Whedon off of television. You just sort of did it himself. <laughs> like he just handled that.
0: Oh. Uh. Okay, well, um, believe it or not, dear listeners, none of that is the reason why we actually have Squee with us today. It, that just that just came up. Um, so yeah, I, I didn't know we were gonna go down that route, but that's that's pretty awesome. Um, so right now, for those who don't know and those who don't know are gonna know real soon, uh, Squee has a new project that uh, has just started up. He made uh, announcements about it on Monday Night Magic recently. Uh, he has the website up and running. And so I'm hoping that you can tell us a little bit more about Enchant World.
2: Yeah. So I'd mentioned this uh, about a month or so ago on Monday Night Magic in passing that I was putting together a new audio project that would be like a podcast but a little different from the way other people handle them. And the ultimate format that I decided on was a submission-based podcast where rather than acting as a host, I acted more like an editor. And the goal was to reach out to the community with given topics and provide people who are interested in sharing stories from their own experiences related to those topics through short clips, which they could either email to me if they have the experience with the audio editing, or they could submit directly through the website where I've put up a recording tool where you can go through and you can click record, and then you've got five or six minutes to state, you know, your story directly, and then I'll handle the editing and do all the work on that. And the reason for doing this kind of format rather than a traditional interviewing format is that I've got a personal feeling that a great many of the stories that we hear about magic now come from people that fall into a certain subset of magic players, which is magic players who are committed enough to want to, you know, go through all the work of getting a podcast together and publishing it and also who were so invested in the game that they feel like this is a great use of their time, even though that's probably not the typical feeling of most Magic players. But also, I feel like a lot of people have stories. Like, you go to any given event, even, like, the giant pre-releases that we were just talking about, everyone's got a story. I mean, a lot of people are just going to complain about how real-life random isn't, like, the random that it should be because it made them lose, or how some people open better cards than others, or just nonsense, or, you know, why is Jace cost too much? All of those things.
0: But it's like also, how uh, students don't really understand how a curve works. They, yeah. they only know the curve that can help them, but curves can go the other way.
2: Yeah. And so, interestingly enough, um, if you go to a lot of magic events now, one of the things that you might observe, and this is me coming from a, a North America-centric view. Obviously, this will vary based on where you are in the world and even where you are within the United States. But most of the events that I've gone to, both small and large-scale magic, you see a lot of very similar looking people. Um, No matter what demographic you go into, there's usually a predominant one. And when it comes to Magic the Gathering, it is predominantly a hobby that I mentally associate with white males typically floating in that late high school to maybe mid-30s, like that 18 to 35 area that you hear about demographically so much. And while there's deviation from that, that's sort of the image that comes together on that. And normally I would be like, okay, well, sure, there's a majority for every group, but in practice, when you pay attention to a lot of the language that you hear from people outside of that group, they're having like in many instances, they're having different experiences than, you know, I say we, cause I'm part of that group of that larger group than we do. And these come up every once in a while online. Like you'll hear mention of. Um, women going to, women are like the primary example because it's the easiest one to just pull out of recent news, but women attending events where they are kind of on the receiving end of a built in set of beliefs about them, you know, not the least of which is that they're not going to be as good. Um, you hear about things like the girlfriend bracket or you hear about, not, not
0: the, not the podcast, not the, the podcast, but, but like the source for
2: that yeah. term. Yeah. Just to clarify the source for that term was the idea that there would be a lot of people who would show up an event, like men would show up with their girlfriends, and the girlfriends wouldn't be as into magic as they are, but they still want to spend time with them. And so if you get paired up against someone's girlfriend, they're not as invested in winning. They're really just sort of there to be supportive. They might not know the set very well. And they usually came off as a free win. And that is the opinion that a lot of people had about female magic players. And it's very unfortunate because obviously if you pay attention to coverage, There are female Magic players, and they're very good. And it's unfortunate that that entire gender is sort of stereotyped into that trope, but it's more unfortunate that a lot of people believe that. And so the question is, if you ask some of the female Magic players, at the high end, you know, what it like being a female Magic player? And digging down into their experiences, it's always from the perspective of being a female magic player rather than a pro magic player. Mm -hmm. Because it's sort of a weird, like, I don't like using the word novelty because it's condescending, but that's the way it's treated. Yeah. Like, this is one of the unique things. Like, you don't often see what's it like to be an Asian magic player, or what's it like being a magic player who is balding. Like, these other traits are not brought up, but...
1: We should leave John Finkel alone.
0: Hey, 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 hey. You're going to make me edit that out because I want to get him on the show.
1: <laughs> well, I, I think we all know what
2: it's like to be John Finkel insofar as it's apparently pretty amazing. So uh, That's what I hear, that. yeah. It sounds um, like it would be pretty great. Yeah. But the thing is um, with the female Magic players is there are actually valid reasons to ask these questions sometimes because the experiences are different. Um, I don't want to dive too far into the familiar concepts of privilege and the like, but it is a thing that is acknowledged by a lot of people. And so my view on this is if a female magic player were to post a story online about what their experiences are like with magic, like as happened earlier this year, um I don't know if you want to go too far into detail on that one, Clues.
0: Uh you know, it's it's worth at least mentioning. I mean, who knows when someone is going to listen to this particular episode. So okay. at least to give it some well, context, we might want to very high
2: level it. and avoid going into names. But earlier this year, um, an article was published on a major magic website by a female game, a female magic player within the community who talked about her experiences as a female magic player and some of the things that she has to overcome, but also some of the things that she observes as being problematic that might prevent other female magic players from
1: being interested in continuing to play. Is one of them being constantly hit on by every guy in the store?
0: I believe that topic has has come up. Yes.
1: Uh,
2: Among many other things, yeah. Um, A lot of that, a lot of it was rooted in what I'd mentioned before about the assumptions that they were there for a boyfriend as opposed to their interest in doing it on their own. Um, A lot of the problems were the general condescension of their opponents trying to teach them even though they don't really need that as if they're new or treating them differently. And it, it ultimately boiled down to different behavior that made them feel like an outsider when this was their hobby and other players who show up at the exact same event don't get that treatment. And so it was an issue. And so then a few days later, on the same website, as it turned out, someone else posted a rebuttal from a male perspective, and it involved a lot of anecdotal responses sort of combating most of the points there with the ultimate message of this is something that we don't actually have to worry about which is me, like, super simplifying someone's point. I don't think it was meant to be as negative as I'm saying as it is, but ultimately the problem was one person presented a collection of points and backed them up with experiences, and the other person came up with some ideas based on what they thought other people's experiences were, as if they were equal weight, and as is the nature of the Internet, controversy spewed out of it. Um, oh a lot boy,
0: of boy, did it.
2: Very negative things appeared across... All of social media and various podcasts and it was just discussed everywhere and it's pretty widely known and observed that wizards of the coast actually wants magic to be available to both genders and right. they don't want people to feel like outsiders in any context. And so it became just a really awkward thing all around. And so when this happened, the, the idea sort of struck me of what if you gave people All people of all backgrounds, not just male or female, but of all races, of all orientations and identifications, um, all, you know, gender, you know, non-binary options, like whatever phrasing we're using for these things at the moment, you know what I'm talking about. Um, All classifications and self-identifications. If we gave people the ability to all just share their own stories, like not attack other people's stories, not try to devalue what happened to other people, but just share their own, just share their own um experiences with the goal that if I could take a large number of experiences and put them together for people to listen to, maybe we could build a little more empathy over what people have in common and identify the behaviors that are problematic but also the positive ones that can be reinforced mm-hmm. because my firm theory on all of this is that while some people are just jerks, the vast majority of people are not and – a lot of the problems that we run into as a community are based in the fact that people who aren't jerks simply don't understand what things they're doing are problems or how they're being interpreted. Or these people don't actually understand how other people feel to start with, and so they just make assumptions that are incorrect and complicate things. Yeah. So overall, the, the entire idea is to provide a voice or, yeah, to give people essentially the ability to take their experience and share them. But without all the barrier to entry that is putting together a podcast or amassing a ton of followers on Twitter or writing long articles or all of the heavy investment things, because the vast majority of Magic players don't do that. But if you can direct them to a web page or a phone or use their phone to go to a web page and they just click a button, you know, quickly tell their story. I mean, you can do this in five minutes and be done and then you've got your message out and then put all of the weight of actually editing it and, you know, sound correcting and all that stuff on me so that I can then put it together into something that's you know, coherent and hopefully has a flow to it and as much as possible remove the editorial aspect on my end. Because ultimately, I could tell you my stories, but I can do that on Monday Night Magic or on any of these other podcasts that I've run into. And my story is unfortunately going to be a bit more typical than most because I'm coming from the majority viewpoint of a, I guess, creepily now on my way to middle-age white male and I've never really run into most of these challenges because I can just walk into a game store anywhere, and as long as I have money, they will be more than happy to have me, and I can sit down and not go through any of the 20 questions or loaded issues that other people face. Right. So.
0: so would it be fair to describe it as what you're really doing is providing a platform for people's voices? You're not You're not really trying to give them voice. They have a voice. We just need them. We need a way to hear it.
2: Yeah, it's more like giving someone a megaphone. But the megaphone is in one hand and a talking stick is in the other one. And I'm taking both away after five minutes because I'm making very clear that I don't want it to just become a platform of here's your soapbox, you know, go forth and essentially spew whatever you want for 20 minutes and I'll do all the work of getting your message out. It's not that. Yeah, it's more a matter of don't tell me your agenda. Just tell me what you've experienced and what things have been good and what things could be better. And then likewise, I want to hear the good stories. Like I don't want it to just come off as here's a laundry list of problems. I want it to be here are things that we do in my community that make things better to give other people ideas. Um As an example, I know that one of my um communities that I've played in, the person who um runs the store, he will typically, instead of having like a very heavy um prize distribution of, you know, like the top four, top eight at an event, get the vast majority of the packs. He'll spread it out a lot more thinly where the top people will get, you know, more than other people, but not a lot more. And then the people who, like, everyone who participates gets packs no matter what. Mm -hmm. But he'll also, separate from Magic product, occasionally give extra deck boxes or promo items or whatever to people that he sees who he feels are, like, having a harder time. And he'll have a zero-tolerance policy to anything that he sees as negative. He'll directly call people out. Like, he he does everything he can to make the community better but he also actively encourages and rewards it when other people in the community take on those roles, too. Right. And, like, that's a simple thing, but ultimately it's a thing of what can people not in the authority point do to make things better. And that's going to be where, hopefully, you know, something as simple as welcoming someone to a store or, you know, a simple change of tone where instead of saying, hey, would you like help with that deck, maybe instead asking, so how does your deck work? Like, Mm -hmm. simple little changes that make people feel a little less like you're talking down to them because honestly magic players have a tendency to come off as arrogant no matter what we do
0: i think this is a very fair statement
2: and there are simple things that we can do to improve ourselves both here and in other parts of our life and hopefully rather than me just telling people you should do this or you should do that which carries whatever weight i can lift off of it having people actually say what works for them directly without any editorial will give people a better sense of what's going on so that is my hope um and because of that, if you go to the website, um I called it Enchant World, and it's available at EnchantWorld.com. And it's named after an old mechanic that they don't do anymore, which essentially would be a set of enchantments who only one of them could exist at a time period, and it would change the rules of magic on some level. And they kind of lifted that idea and repackaged it in the um, plane chase sets, but... At the time, like that was the gimmick, and the idea is that for a set amount of time while that enchantment was out, the world is a little bit different, and usually, if you're running it, it makes the world better for you. And the hope is that we can, through our effort, make the world a little bit better for everybody. So, if you go to that website, EnchantWorld.com, you can look over some of the upcoming topics. Um, As we get episodes recorded, they'll obviously also be available there, Um, but you can look over upcoming topics, read about the kinds of things that I'm going to be talking about, And then there's a submission button, you know, you go through, you fill out a very brief form, which is mostly for my reference because if things go well, I'm going to want to have a record of who submitted things in case I want to do like a follow-up, you know, like how is life going six months later? Or if, you know, like something's wrong with your recording and only got half your story, well, I want to let you know so that you can resubmit it. So mostly it's just capturing stuff like that and then the baseline level of saying that I have permission to use your recording so that, you know, I don't ever have to pull something down because someone changed their mind later. Yeah. But for the most part, it's very laid back, simple, fill it out and submit. You could go from visiting the website to reading what's going on, recording something and being done in under 10 minutes. And then, you know, just check back in later and, you know, if we've got that episode already. You'll see it there. Um, other than that, I'm slowly collecting links to other sites that I think might be useful. Like at present, I have a link to the MTG cast site, which obviously hosts a wide variety of, podcast from all over the place so you get a good there's a good chance you'll find something that you like there and also
0: or or at least something you'll listen to whether you like it or
2: not yeah i mean there's probably something to help pass the time and it's more people's stories hey it's our fan base
0: i was gonna say i suggest either monday night magic or even better card advantage it's this great podcast that i oh
2: huh yeah i guess you might be right presumably you've already got them otherwise you've got some weird time travel going on
0: yeah well that's usually a problem yeah uh, so I have a whole slew of questions that I've written yeah. down, uh, as, as you've been talking here, things that have occurred to me. Uh, and I, I apologize. I didn't mean for this to happen, but I might actually end up going all Terry Gross on you. So Rich, st- stop me and cut me off if you want to jump in here, but I've got some. And so the first thing I want to ask is, uh, I am a huge supporter of this project, which you know, um, you know, we've, we've been talking about it behind the scenes for a while now. I'm a huge supporter of what you're doing here are you prepared for the backlash? Are you prepared for the accusations of editorializing and, uh, the anger and vitriol that the internet has to offer?
2: Um, I'm, I'm prepared insofar as I'm of that mindset that if I'm upsetting people by letting other people talk, then I'm fine with upsetting those people. Um, like pure and simple, like I'm not bothered by people being angry with me on the internet. Mm. Um, that said, I, I do want to clarify that since um, putting out the um, website on Monday of this week, we're recording this Wednesday, so you know, within the last 72 hours, um, I actually did have a conversation with someone who um, wanted to make sure that I wasn't falling into the trap of giving the appearance of equal weight to varying opinions when some are more informed than others. Right. And that was a concern because um She was rightly concerned, having seen in the past, where if you give equal weight to dissenting opinions, then it's very easy to dilute out something that is based a little bit more in reality compared against something that's, you know, less well-informed or more, you know, you've seen politics. You've seen how everything gets noise and hopefully avoiding the politics end, but also acknowledging that I don't want to just add a lot of noise to the point where none of it matters, so – from the editorial standpoint, most of what I'm going to be doing is making sure that I'm providing um, the actual stories that are useful. That doesn't mean that I'm picking a side, though, uh, because, one, I don't think there are sides if you do this right. But I think there can be conflicting views, and I would certainly want to show both if there are two, more in all likelihood if there are multiple. But I do want to make sure that in my editing, I don't make it look like if, you know, for instance, just to pull an issue out of nowhere that's unrelated to this. Let's say instead my podcast was about different colors of magic cards. Well, everyone has their own opinion of what the best color is, and they certainly have their opinion of the worst color, Great. and it's pretty easy to dig that out of people. <laughs> case in point. Well, if I were doing this project on, you know, what's the worst color in magic between green and blue, each of you have your own opinions on this.
0: Uh Yeah,
1: this is and true. And
2: if I, you know, receive submissions from 20 people and, you know, five of them said green and 15 of them said blue, well, it would be very misleading if I were to only put up, you know, three green and three blue. Right. But on the same note, if the five who said green were people who have been playing Magic for a very long time and who have experienced absolutely horrible things in, say, Elder Dragon Highlander or Commander as a result of the horrible things green can do in that format, Whereas the people who said blue was the worst were people that have not actually played magic before, but they really hate hoodies. And that was just their argument. But then I would have an editorial responsibility to not, you know, paint it too big in the other direction either. Cause even if more people hold that view, if they've done nothing whatsoever to back it up, I can't just flood all those out.
1: So just make sure people aren't debating with a five year old where their rebuttal is, uh, Right. Exactly. And so the,
2: yes, there will be editorializing on my part insofar as I don't want it to just become hit submit and now it's out there. I need to do some degree of editing and I'll
0: also- yeah, that, There's a reason why these don't auto post.
2: Yeah, like I actually have the ability on my site right now and I have not turned it on, but depending on how things go, I can take audio comments. Like I would, I could use the comment field to let people record their own comment and then
1: everyone else could hear it. I have not enabled this feature.
0: <laughs> I I don't think that's a good idea.
1: I, can I can I just give you one recording of me going no and you can just play it all the time? Just like
2: maybe I could just drop that in as my swear filter or something. <laughs> yep.
1: <laughs>
2: all things are possible. I like um it. but yeah, and so that's the thing though. Like I have the ability to do that. I built it into the website. Like I've spent if you've been listening to my night at magic, you know, I've been playing with this project for about a month and a half because I really like actually experimenting with code and I'm not a coder by design, so it's all for fun. But um, I've put in the feature because I want to reach a point someday where I can turn it on. Mm -hmm. That gives me a goal.
0: and It's a lofty goal.
2: Well, it's important to have them. And I do not have it turned on right now, but I may in the future set that up. But for right now, it's not a case of you can record and go because it's not that I want to, you know, bury someone's opinion or anything like that. It's more a matter of, I think there's a certain responsibility to take what is going on around me and report on it rather than simply record and play it. You know, that's, that's the difference between being CNN and a real news network. Like I have to actually make sure that I do something in the middle. Otherwise, you're just reading the YouTube comments and that's useless.
0: Yeah, don't read the YouTube comments like ever. That is a terrible idea. Um So that leads me to another question that I have. What is, for the listeners out there, what is your background as oh, far as –
2: Yeah. So professionally, like, in terms of like what I do for a living in my education, uh, I went to, as I mentioned before, North Carolina State University, and I got a bachelor's degree in mass media communication. And while I was there, I studied under um, a number of professors who had, were at the time, like this was in the you know mid 2000s, early to mid 2000s. And so this is before social media had really taken off, but it was the dawn of Facebook and it was the dawn of you know, the Facebooks, the MySpace, all of the stuff where people were first really moving towards the everyone can publish mindset. And so that was a fascinating time to be in college, because when your professors study mass media communication, and this is actually happening, there's a lot of attention placed on where that's going. And you know, the ethical ramifications of it, among other things. So I studied a lot of that while I was in school. And then when I got out of school, I worked in uh, video production for a while. Um, That was fun. But Somewhere, let's say 2007, it became a really bad idea to be a freelancer. So I moved away from that towards a more salaried position where I worked in marketing. And I've been doing um, marketing jobs since then. But separate from my marketing jobs, I've also worked with um, a number of conventions over the years, specifically Japanese animation conventions where I was involved in community management, Um Hosting forums, large events, all kinds of social things with people who are not used to being social. And so the transition into doing podcast and like was a pretty good one from that because it's the same thing, but instead of text, it's verbal and it's still heavy interaction with people that you don't quite know, but you want to. Right. And so ultimately for me working on this project, like sort of my, my real goal, like I use the example of the comment recorder. But what I would actually like to see with the Magic community, and I think it's beyond the scope of me right now, but I think it's a place that we can all try to go for, is seeing what happened with the um, Japanese anime community over the years. Because when I first got into it back in the 90s, yeah, it was like pasty white guy city all over the place. Like, that was just the people that were into it. There were exceptions, but that was the norm, at least in my part of the country. And if you go to a Japanese anime convention now, I would wager it's probably 55 to 60% female with ages ranging from 10 to 60, Easily. it's just spread out all over. Like, all genders, you know, not both, but all genders. Um, everything that you could imagine, like, I've known people who um, started getting into anime not because they were particularly interested in anime, but because it was one of the only communities that was so open and welcoming of them, whoever they were and whatever they identified as, mm-hmm. that they felt comfortable there, and then the rest of it was just sort of gravy. And I would like Magic to get to that point because we've seen in big tournaments like worldwide, you know, pro tours and like that, you could play a game of Magic the Gathering with someone who doesn't speak your language and the rules of the game and understanding how it's played can bring people together who would never meet one another. And likewise, as we've seen on Twitter, people can, you know, share your opinions, share your views, share your ideas. You can be creative. You can throw up a deck list that no one's ever seen before and get feedback you can talk about the story and the flavor and the lore and how much you hate hoodies. You can do all of these things and it's an open community for that. But then when you go to an actual event, suddenly it goes back into being the largely pasty white guy thing. And that just feels wrong to me. Like I've seen other communities like the anime one where we got past that and it just became so inclusive that it was a non-issue. And if someone were to go to an anime convention now and express, you know, homophobia, xenophobia, you know, sexism, anything like that, they get chewed out by everyone around them. Like, that's something that that community has decided they're not putting up with. And that's where we need to get. We need to become more open, and I think that it's something that we can totally do, and there's really no reason why we haven't done it yet. But I think establishing a greater degree of empathy and sympathy will bring us to that point.
0: Do you have any sense of how the anime community got to where they are now?
2: Um... I think part of it is because, uh, if you look at the really old anime community, that's mostly that same group that I talked about before, but they've just aged up. Um, but a lot of it is because it's made up of younger people who were, I think came in mostly like if you were five or six or whatever, and you played Pokemon, you know, the card game or the video game, or you watch the cartoon. Well, as weird as it is, Pokemon's about 20 years old now. So that that ages up and that's kind of what happened. Um. These kids were socializing with one another a lot younger, and they knew that anime was a thing. It was all over television. It was a big boom in the 2000s. And then when they started going to conventions, it was just straight up they were there for their hobby of the conventions. But it was both genders. It's not like only boys were into Pokemon. Only girls were into Pokemon. Like, everyone was. It was crazy. And then the actual programming that they enjoyed, though, like there's some anime that was directed at boys. There was some anime directed at girls. There was anime directed at girls who like boys that are into boys. Like this is just all over the place. And it became a matter of even if you only liked a small subset of it, you were exposed to all these people that liked different things than what you liked constantly. And even if you're like, well, I really hate robots. Well, you can know other people that like robots and be like, I don't like your like of robots, but you're okay. Cause you're around them all the time. It's pure exposure. Whereas if you go to a magic tournament now, you're mostly going to find other people that fall into one of the major groups. Like I mentioned before. And until, you know, it boils down to until male gamers see female gamers with such regularity that it stops being a special novelty in their mind or until like completely like i don't like all the breakdowns of gender and all of that stuff just because it's hard for me to discuss them without throwing out words that may be outdated already it's a very rapidly evolving thing and i'm not on tumblr so i can't keep track of all of it but i know that um if you find someone who deviates from your exact you know sex and gender and orientation and all of that, then it might be a bit of a special thing that stands out to you right now. But if you're exposed to it on a much more regular basis, it stops being a weird or different thing, and you start seeing the person rather than these traits of the person. And I think we can get there like the anime community has, because also the anime community had the advantage of costumes. So you saw people as their character, Mm -hmm. or you saw them based on, all of the swag that they're wearing, decking them out in whatever their favorite show is, and all of that stuff. Whereas magic, you pretty much show up and you see a bunch of people,
0: jeans and a t-shirt.
2: Yeah, jeans and a t-shirt. Occasionally they'll wear costumes, and I'd actually like to see more of that because, as someone from an anime background, the idea that there are featured cosplayers for events is so weird to me that the idea that we could probably count the number of magic cosplayers of any you know renown and actually do that is so strange by comparison, but that's a thing that we can do because it's unusual. But I think that as Magic gets more people into costumes doing it, and as people start to put up more of an identity and a little bit less of the, I'm just going to ignore the world around me and just show up at this event to try to win. Because that's the other thing. As a tournament, Magic is competitive. And if the only place you see Magic players are at heavy, high-stakes tournaments, then they're all going to be focused on winning rather than socializing, whereas anime conventions don't have that. But... I do think we can get there. I think um, most fun that I've had at tournaments is actually not competing in them, but showing up for the social part. And I'd like to see more people see that as a viable option, too. Mm -hmm. You don't have to want to show up and play through 10 rounds of stress and then cut to top eight if you did well. You don't need to feel like you had to throw down $800 on a standard deck that'll be invalidated within a year. Like, it doesn't have to be an expensive hobby. It just sort of is if you're really competitive with it. And I think we can ultimately make it fun. I mean, we all clearly have invested so much of our time in this game and so much of our attention and so much of our thoughts that we have all that in common. Why don't we just talk to each other?
0: Yeah, believe it or not, here's here's a time when I'm going to say uh, I think Chewie has the right idea about part of this because when Chewie goes to a tournament, it has absolutely nothing to do with winning a tournament.
2: I don't think Chewie's played outside of a pre-release or a random FNM when Mike gives him a deck in probably years. Like I think Vegas was the last time he actually played in a tournament. Yeah. Not counting random F&M with Mike's deck or a pre-release. But he has so much fun. Like he enjoys it. And to credit when I couldn't get to, uh, GP Charlotte earlier this year because I had to go to a wedding the same day. I say had to, like I chose to, but I didn't get to the tournament until like seven or eight PM. And, but I showed up in time to go to the big podcaster dinner and that was a lot of fun. Like, you know, we all got together, we had pizza, it was great, it was an entirely social event for me. And then the next day, because I'd missed day one, I just walked around and talked to people, and I had a lot of fun. Um, I didn't have any of the stress that I normally do of trying to build a deck or get all the cards in time, or, you know, looking at the meta, or coming up with, like, what am I going to do, or sitting through, like, all the, you know, meetings and registration and all that annoying stress and having to get there exactly on time. I just had a lot of fun meeting people. And walking around and I would like more people to see that as an option.
0: So would you say it's fair to say that we need magic tournaments to become more like magic conventions than tournaments? That the tournament is just one aspect of what's going on?
2: I think that personally I would be happier if magic tournaments became more like magic conventions or, you know, if you really wanted to be crazy about it, you could actually use that gathering word that they are stuck on the back of the cards and make it just a thing where they all get together. And, you know, like the costume people can show up and take pictures. The artists can show up and sign things like they're slowly moving that direction already. Right. Where there are things to do at these tournaments when you're not playing. But most of the emphasis is still on playing and trying to win, even though realistically, if everyone goes to this tournament with the goal of winning it and 10,000 people show up, nearly 10,000 people will not win. And it's really sad for all the rest of them who showed up and invested in that if there's nothing else to do. Whereas the people who show up just to get the cards signed and hang out with their friends and maybe play Commander or, you know, go to podcast or dinners or whatever they want to do, they're going to have fun every time. Um, right. And, like, you can do both. You can show up for one part, and then if you don't win, go do the other part, and that's fine. But I think as a social community thing, the emphasis needs to be placed less on you need to show up for this thing and have the best deck and win, and a little bit more on you need to show up and have fun. And, and I... Um. Would like that to be more of a thing, but I also acknowledge that pretty much anywhere else you go for magic, they're going to want you to buy cards. Like as long as the people who are in charge of this thing are like Star City or, you know, wizards themselves, like they're going to push the cards in the new set and all that stuff. Cause that's what they want. They still want you to have fun and they're going to put some effort into this. But I think we as a community need to put some effort into finding ways to have fun outside of that. Right. Even and- if it's just, I want to go visit all my friends from the internet and they're all going to be at this thing.
0: At the end of the day, uh, tournaments are, uh, to be honest, I mean, a, a, a Magic tournament is really an advertisement for the product, Magic the Gathering. Yeah. So I, I feel like there's always... out of a
2: marketing budget, essentially.
0: <laughs> pretty much. I feel like there's always going to be that sort of a conflict there. And I, I mean, it's it's not really like a direct conflict, like the two aren't diametrically opposed or anything, but, you know, when push comes to shove, the whole point of the tournament from the not necessarily the to's perspective but from watsi's perspective is we have tournaments because when we do more people are interested in buying our cards
2: yeah and that's perfectly fair in their part um i'm not criticizing that at all i'm just saying that acknowledging that we have to come up with things that we want to do as well or just become more comfortable with the idea of attending a tournament and not competing um i would like to see us reach the point where like if you take a lot of the competitive aspect out you're going to have a lot more fun with the people around you. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that when I see people at the end of the day of a tournament, they're pretty much dead inside. Oh, yeah. Like, even the best players get exhausted. And there's also so much stress, because realistically, you're there for, like, a 10-round day one. Well, you lose twice and you're out, realistically speaking. I mean, you might be able to day two for, like, packs or whatever, but you're not going to make it to the end. You're not going to get to live your dream or any of that stuff. You're not going to cash. So... You have these people that have probably invested nearly a $1,000 in their deck Mm -hmm. and then practiced, you know, who knows how many hours getting in. And they put all this investment in this thing, and then they get to, like, you know, round four, and their deck just bricks, and then they lose one. And now they're in, I have to win every round all the way out to have a shot at my dream, and they're going to brick again. Or their opponent's just going to play better than they do because their opponent's got even more time in, or, you know, that's just the way magic works. They're a bad matchup. There are too many scenarios that can invalidate all of the work and energy that you put into the tournament that are beyond your control to be so invested in it. But when you hit that point where you played in your big tournament and you're done and it's just over, you can get depressed really easily. And that's not a nice place to be. So if your consolation prize of losing out of the tournament is, and now I get to go hang out with all these people and do all this cool stuff and have fun, that's a great way to come down from that, even if your main goal is still to win.
0: So in the end, are we all better off if we can all learn how to lose?
2: Well, that's definitely true in all of life. I mean, you aim to win, but if you don't win, find another metric by which you won. Like, have a plan B. Don't go to a tournament planning to win, because if or if you go to a tournament planning to win, be prepared to, you know, do something else or have fun or go hang out with people if you don't. And then no matter what happens, you come out of it okay.
0: Always have a backup plan.
2: Yeah, I mean, if the worst case scenario for you is you don't get to hang out with your friends as much because you day-tued, well good job, you day-tued. If the worst case scenario, like if you're Chewy, is that you get one loss and you have to keep playing and winning until you're allowed to socially <laughs> drop and then go hang out with your friends, well, that's the thing too. Yeah. Cause I know that Chewy gets very upset when he does well at tournaments because he wants to stop and go do other things, that's why he just stopped playing in them.
0: Right. And if he, if he starts a tournament, he feels obligated to try and finish a tournament until he can't, right?
2: Yeah, pretty much.
0: Particularly if, and I know this has happened when people have offered to, "Hey, I'll pay your entry, just play." It's like, yeah, you can do that. But
2: yeah, and likewise, I think that um, once you get past that need to win, then you also don't see everyone around you as an opponent. Right. Uh, I know that. I've well,
0: seen, so- okay. So I, I do wanna I do wanna make a distinction here because there is an announcement that I I try and make when I run tournaments. The person across from you is your opponent, but they're not your enemy. Those are two subtly different things. You need an opponent in order for the game to proceed, but they're not actually evil incarnate. They are not... They're hopefully not there just to spite you. Presumably. And and you should not get pissed when they win, because that's literally their job. Their job is to try and win. Now, I'm not saying I don't do it, too, because I get terribly upset when I lose, um, particularly when it's to a blue deck, but that's, you know, maybe some personal issues that I'm working through, but still... Uh, don't be mad at them because they tried to win, because that's exactly what you're trying to do.
2: Yeah, and likewise, don't be mad at yourself because you lost.
0: Oh, that's Um, a very good point. I
2: am really bad for that. Um, If you've seen me at tournaments before, if I lose a round, and it's something that I could at all do anything about, I will sit there and dwell on it. And I'll eventually I'll, I'll shake it off when the next round starts, hopefully, but... I can right now come up with the moment that I've lost every major tournament I've ever played in and the mistake behind me. And that's something that sticks with me. And admittedly, it does make me a better player, but it also means that I'm stuck with that like when it happens. And it's really rough because I just think of like, oh, well, that was my mistake. That is where I lost. And when you can do that, it's really good for growing, but it's really bad for moving on now. Like, well, I made that mistake and now I lost. It's like, man, I really did that. I can't believe I did that. How could I do that? I must have been tired. That was stupid. How did I make that mistake? Where was my discipline? Like, you can beat yourself up pretty bad, and that is not a good mode to be in when you're then going to try to go hang out with your friends. Right. And you certainly don't want to do the, the sad walk to McDonald's because, you know, you're really hungry because you haven't eaten, and then you're just sort of sitting there and you're looking at, you know, your McDonald's cup, and you're like, what did I do with my life? <laughs> Why was I here today? Like, you <laughs> Why? get depressed really easily.
0: <laughs> Why have I eaten McDonald's for the third meal in a row?
2: This is not a good plan.
0: Yeah, nobody wants to be there. So um, if I could bring it back to your project and sure. to your website for a minute, I, I think we've gone some good places with this discussion, honestly, or at least some some fruitful places, some interesting places that need exploring. Back to the website, though. Uh, let's say that I have a story that I want to share, but I hate the sound of my own voice, or I want to submit it anonymously. Do, do you have any kind of a mechanism for someone who's not comfortable recording?
2: Uh, Yes. So I'm going to add a little bit more of a description on the site now, um, actually probably tonight when we're done, to explain that I'm comfortable accepting submissions. Like, anonymously is already built in. You don't have to put your name on the form when you fill it out. And you what I've asked is that if you put your name on it, then at the beginning of your recording, just say your name out loud, just so that I can, you know, run with that and know that you're cool with it. Uh, but if you instead are, you know, you don't want to throw your name out there, like you said before. If you're concerned that maybe there's community backlash, because we've certainly seen it, Um, that's obviously a problem in the video game community right right now. But in other communities as well, we've seen instances where people aren't comfortable, you know, essentially taking a stand for something, especially if it's something important to them, just because other people on the Internet are terrible. Then I completely respect that. And you can just, you know, put in your name as anonymous and then I won't even know who you are. Um, I, I do ask that if you do that, you still include your email address just so that I can follow up with you if there's a problem with the file, but I won't say your name on the air. I won't direct people to you. I won't give them a link to your, you know, Facebook page. I won't dox you or anything stupid like that. Um, that's totally fine. Now, if you don't want to read it out loud, that's okay too. You can send me an email, um, or you can, you know, send me a message on, uh, Twitter if you follow me. I don't think I get direct messages unless you follow me, so that might be a little hard for some people. But um, or unless I follow you back, I guess is how that works. Yeah. But yeah, you can certainly email me at planeswalker.squee at gmail.com. Or you can just fill out the form on the site and just say that, you know, here's what I want to talk about, but I'm not comfortable about it. And if you hit submit on there without recording anything, I'll still get that. And I am comfortable reading a message out loud. Uh, I'm trying to encourage people to use their own voices, but it will probably actually be me asking a friend to read it just so that it's very clear that it's not coming from me and you sort of get that um, magical NPR radio quality where it's someone else's voice, and we just say at the beginning, you know, this is a dramatic rereading or whatever. Whatever language feels appropriate at the time based on the article or the sound of it. But the idea will be that, yeah, if you don't want to use your own voice, you don't have to. But I would encourage people, if you're comfortable with it at all, to go ahead with it, even if you're anonymous, just because I think there's more impact to hear a, a wider variety of voices involved to making it more real for some people. Because if you make it, More real that this isn't just one or two people with isolated problems or that only a few people are invested in it. I think that'll go a long way with helping other people get a sense of just how big it is because if 10 different people have the same problem, it's much easier for someone to believe that it's actually a problem than it is if it's one person reading 10 people's stories. Yeah. So I encourage it, but it is not required.
0: Okay. Well, I know this hasn't really been our usual kind of episode here on the show, uh, but this is definitely a, uh, it's a project I definitely believe in, and I think that only, in truth, only good can come of this, right? The more we know about each other, the more we empath- empathize with each other, the better off we are, period, right? So, uh, I'm, I'm gonna try and wrap this up here, but I do wanna, I wanna, I wanna share a little story, if I may. Uh, that I, I don't know, I may share it on your website, but I know one of your upcoming topics is, uh, let's see now, how did you phrase it? And, in, in introductions, I think is, or first impressions, that's yeah. what you said. Uh, stories about your, your introduction uh, to the magic community. And so, uh, maybe, maybe me sharing this story might encourage other people to share their stories. So when I first got involved in magic, of course, this was, uh, World Wake era, so in Zendikar block and i was i was very new to magic it it, it was this thing that i kind of learned how to play at pax east and i was just i was hooked i had to do this i had to play this i was thinking about it all the time i wanted cards had to get more cards and i finally decided to go to a tournament and i am a shy person actually most people don't really know this uh, about me they only you know hear me on podcasts like this or uh, you know maybe god forbid see me in class cuz i do teach I'm really an introvert at heart, and I think a lot of magic players fall into the bucket of being an introvert. And because of that, uh, being extroverted or putting myself out there takes a great deal of effort for me to do. Now, there are certain situations where I feel safe doing that. You know, for instance, these podcasts, uh, or, or when I'm in the middle of teaching a class. Uh, but at the same time, when I'm in an area that I'm not comfortable with, it's really, really hard for me, and I think a lot of people feel that. So I go to my first Magic tournament, and at the time, it was at Sci-Fi Genre, which was the predecessor to Atomic Empire in Durham, North Carolina's Great Shop. You should check it out. But I didn't know anyone. Right? I didn't know any of these people, and I had never played in an FNM before. I had, I had only read about it online and heard about it uh in podcasts, quite frankly. And so I built my deck, which was a red aggro deck, of course, and I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know how it was run. I didn't really know who was in charge. I actually wrote out a deck list by hand on a piece of paper because I didn't know if I needed one of those or not. That's how naive I was when I first started out. And so I show up at FNM, and I'm just kind of standing around awkwardly because I don't know... Any, There's this store full of people who all know each other and who are are joking and palling around and talking about decks and talking about cards that I don't know what the hell they are. Because, you know, at the time, I had such a tiny, tiny magic collection and such a tiny experience. I was a complete and utter noob. And it was terrifying. And this was a shop that that was full of a community that is nice and that is welcoming and that is open. And I was still terrified because I didn't know how to act and I didn't know who to talk to. And it was honestly just weird. And I lost, I just straight up lost the crap out of everything. To be honest with you, I was a horrible magic player. Some would say that I still am. And that's probably a fair criticism, but if that's your first kind of experience in a good situation, I can only imagine what an experience in a bad situation is going to be like. So that was my introduction to Tournament Magic. Uh So share your stories with Squee. We'll cool.
2: share them with everyone.
0: We will share them with everyone. So we will have links to all of uh, this stuff with Squee in, uh, in the show notes. Uh, we'll have his email and the website there. Uh, so uh, I, think, I think we're going to wrap this one up and uh, put it to bed. Uh, I look forward to seeing this project grow, is what I'll say.
2: I'm hoping for the best on it because while there's a bit of fear that simply no one will submit things, I've already gotten a lot of um, questions from people. Uh, both people asking if they can submit their own things without using the form because they have audio editing and want to save me the trouble for it. And also people who have told me that they're, they've never done anything like that before and they're a little bit self-conscious about it, but it's important to them. And so they'd like to have a chance to do it. So I'm at the moment cautiously optimistic and hoping for the best. And if I don't get you on a topic. In the first round, like, I'm revisiting these topics. Like, people will always have more first impressions. People will always have no experiences. These are just the first few to get it started. So if I miss you here, feel free to submit anyway, and I will put them in a folder for the next time.
0: Right. Okay, so any any other parting contact information? I know you mentioned Twitter, but I don't think you mentioned your Twitter handle, should people want to get a hold of you.
2: Yeah, so if you're looking for me on Twitter, it's at um, Squee Goblin Nabob. Um, Goblin is not spelled with an I. The real reason is because Twitter wouldn't give me that many characters, but I like to come up with reasons why on Monday Night Magic every week, there's no I. So I'm going to say for this time around, uh, there's no I in Magic because it was wearing a hoodie in the wrong neighborhood. And so all of those 15 people that absolutely hate blue showed up and it was bad. Don't be those people.
0: Yeah, don't be those people.
2: Don't be those people. But yeah, so you can find me on Twitter. And then uh, as said before, you can find the website at EnchantWorld.com.
0: And like I said, all that's going to be in the show notes. If you want to see the show notes, there are places you can do that. If you want to talk to us, there are places you can do that. We do enjoy feedback. So you can find all of our stuff on our website. We are uh cardadvantagecast.com. You can email us. We are mtgcardadvantage at com. You can find me on the Twitters. I am at LockLuzet, spelled just like it is in the show notes. And Rich's mic is apparently muted. Yeah, it is. Yep. <laughs>
1: I am at MindMage, the A-N mage is a four.
0: Also because it was in the wrong neighborhood. Uh, so there you go. Thank you very much, Squee, for joining us. I look forward to hearing how Enchant World goes, and I look forward to hearing the community's stories through it.
2: Yeah. Um Once I get an episode together, it'll be added to the MTGCast network, so if you listen to that, it'll pop up in there. I'll also make a note of it on across Twitter at the um, name that I just mentioned, and the website itself will obviously have it, and it'll be all over the place. Um, I'll ask Chewy to mention it on his shows. I'll ask Clues to mention it here.
0: Yeah, and me. hopefully
2: we can all listen to it and be like, "Wow, that was great!" But now I want to tell my story and then continue.
1: Yep.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you all very much for listening, and we will see you all next time. We were
1: the ones he-